there are a lot of pros and cons, no matter how you look at it. Um, I've never re regretted getting my license. It's always paid for itself. Um, I'd say like a lot of the pros are you're not relying on someone else for that expert opinion. And I couldn't imagine right now waiting for comps to come back yeah. or waiting for an ARV to come back or waiting for someone else to submit a contract for me. Um, that stuff right now would annoy me to no end. Uh, it, it, I, I can do it now. I could look up comps in about, you know, five minutes I can have an ARV and uh, waiting for this other agent to do that for me is, uh, is a lot of time that I can't waste usually. And so I think that that's having direct access to the tools is like the number one uh, benefit of having your license. You're listening to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show, a podcast that discusses the intricacies of real estate investing with your host, Marcus E. Maloney. Marcus is a real estate investor best known for being the equity king. He's been awarded that moniker because he and his team find amazing real estate deals. He will be talking with investors who have done some transformational things in the real estate industry. They'll discuss their process, their strategies, and how their investments transform their lives and the communities they invest in. We welcome you to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. Hello, We Love Equity Real Estate family. I am excited about another show. And on today's show, you're going to get some quality content from a quality individual. If you're looking to learn how to find deals, how to market, how to secure deals, then this is the podcast episode for you. I have Anson Young, who's based out of Denver, Colorado, and, and Anson is the deal finder, man. This guy know how to find deals. You know how to stack lists, get things together for your marketing and everything like that. I met Anson um, at the Bigger Pockets Conference in... 2019 last year and he was up talking about list stacking and I was like hey man I didn't know list stacking was a thing we were doing it but we didn't know that it had a title you gave it a title and I was like okay I gotta have you on a on the show for uh, other people to learn how to find deals so Anson Anson welcome to the show man thanks for having me Marcus we we, we put it together and we're we're here now Absolutely, absolutely, man. So I just want to welcome you here to the show. So give us a little background for those who may not know who you are, what you do. If they don't, I don't know where they are because you've been a big contributor to Bigger Pockets. You know, you're a published author with Bigger Pockets as well. So I don't want to steal your thunder. Uh, so, you know, introduce us to Anson. Yeah, sure. So uh, let's see how far back we want to go. Um, See, when Man, I was 10, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I started off in IT, uh, like a lot of people did in the early 2000s, and uh, got laid off like everybody did in the early 2000s, especially okay. in the technology field. And uh, I really, really didn't like my future being in someone else's hands. If I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to mess, mess it up, I'm going to do it myself, I guess. And so uh, on a... At the, at the same time, we decided that we're going to move down to Phoenix, my wife and I, and um, to be closer to family. My brother just had a baby, so we figured, hey, I don't have a tech job anymore. Let's let's figure out something else. And so on the way down there, 
like everybody else, I ended up reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And okay. uh, literally in the, in, the, in the moving truck, when it wasn't kind of my turn to drive, I was reading that book front to back. And when we landed in Phoenix, it was basically like, hey, new city, new opportunities, new, new me, right? Yep. And, so, uh, and then I just went on the path of doing every single thing that I could to learn everything that I, that I could about real estate. So I attended all the meetups. I was the, I was the guy who was bothering everybody saying, Hey, if you need anything done, you know, I'm your guy, just teach me what you're doing. And I was in a million scattered in a million different directions. Like you are when you start out, everything's a shiny object. And, uh, and I even uh, took on a mentor who kind of like reinforced that scattering. It was like, Hey, here's 10 different ways to, (laughs) to make money in real estate, you know? And we would go through all the 10 different things. And so, of course, when I got that first deal, which is about a year later, uh, I had no idea what to do with it. I tried to lease option it. I tried to rent it. I tried to just wholetail it. I didn't know uh, that that was a thing, but I tried, uh-huh. tried, to, tried to wholetail it and eventually just ended up moving into it and fixing it up ourselves. So a live-in flip. Okay. So that was our very, very first deal. And that was in 2005. And uh, so we sold it a year later and decided that Phoenix wasn't for us. So we moved back to Colorado and uh, been here ever since. Uh, got my license shortly after. Uh, been fix and flipping and wholesaling and wholetailing and, and uh, being a licensed real estate agent ever since. Okay, so, so let's, let's kind of go back because there, there's some correlation between your story and my story. Similar. I moved from Chicago to Phoenix and on the way over, I wasn't reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I actually stumbled upon the Bigger Pockets podcast. So I had 24 hours of just real estate content being pushed in my head while I'm driving this, you know, U-Haul truck across the country. And uh, they were talking about direct mail and they were talking about yellow letters. And I'm like, what are why are you listening to this? You know, how does this correlate to real estate? You know, and then towards the end, it was like a light bulb went off. It was like, okay, well, that's how you find deals. You know, you have to think different. You have to think outside of a realtor, the MLS and things like that in order to find deals. So when you got here to Phoenix, um, you did like most people, you said, okay, I'm going to be everywhere at all times, wherever they're talking about real estate, that's where I'm going to be at. Um, What, what action did you take to get that first deal? Yeah. So it, it honestly came a hundred percent from networking and being, being uh, willing to do, I would, I would do, you know, odd jobs and crap jobs for anybody I could get my hands on. So if there's any agents who wanted signs, you know, punched in the yards, I'd, uh-huh. I'd do it, you know? And so, uh, so eventually I connected with a, a good group of two or three people who, you know, I was like, Hey, I'll go put out signs or I'll go deliver these contracts or I'll, you know, drop this check off at title, you know, just, just being an errand, yep. an errand boy, you know, around, I was bartending at the time, which uh, I really actually did enjoy uh, over tech, but, uh-huh. <laughs> but at, the, at the end of the day, it's just talking to people. And so I think, yep. Uh, that that was the part I enjoyed the most, but um, and so eventually, you know, after doing all these jobs, you know, one of the agents that I was in, uh, she was an investor herself too, but 
uh, but this agent that I've been doing these jobs for, she's like, Hey, you know what? Um, I have an investor who's looking to sell one of his properties. I think that this might be a good deal for you to start off on. And, um, and you know, we went through the numbers together. I, I obviously had a lot of trust in her that I wasn't getting, you know, screwed over. Screwed anything, over, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so we went through the numbers, kind of the exit. Uh, she was, uh, it was on the west side of Phoenix. And so it was right by uh, Westgate. So okay. right they're building the, the Cardinal Stadium. Cardinal Stadium, yep. And they were putting in, they are turning this, you know, field into basically an outdoor mall and all this stuff. And so she's like, she's like, you're going to be right next door to this stuff. You know, the Super Bowl's coming in a few years. You know, this is kind of the area that you want to be. And we lived on the, on the West side. So I kind of understood the West side a bit. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it all kind of made sense. And I took that leap of faith of, of, you know, put it, put the contract on it, got the financing lined up, um, and just kind of jumped in to the deep end. And, and, you know, I, I did flail a little bit. I think it was about a month and a half before kind of figured out that we were going to move into it and fix up okay. the rest of it and flip it. But it took about a month and a half where, you know, we basically had two, a house we were renting and a house that we had just bought. And it was our very first house we've ever bought and it was going to be an investment. And so, uh, you know, we were, it took me a while to figure that out part, that, that part out. But, you know, we figured it out. We were like, Hey, we'll do the work ourselves. Uh, we'll fix up the rest of it. And, uh, and you know, when we go to sell, you know, hopefully the money's there, the equity yep. is there that we'll make some money. But honestly, at that time at Phoenix, uh, you could throw a dart at a map and find a deal because appreciation was just going through the roof. So it was, it would have been hard to lose on that deal knowing that appreciation was so high at the time. Well, the thing, and this is the thing that I wanted to chime in on is, is that you were willing to do whatever it took to really kind of get in proximity of other investors and agents, you know, because you knew that's how you were going to learn, you know, so that's the reason why you were at the different meetups, you know, you said, Hey, I'll hang out signs. I'll do whatever. And because of your effort in your work, that deal kind of came to you. You didn't go out actively looking for it. Someone brought it to you and said, you know what, this will probably be something good for you to take a look at. And, I tell, I wanted to bring this up is because I tell people you have to get out there and you have to make yourself available to other people, even if you're not making any money, you know, but you're getting that education and you're learning who the real players are. And it's just that one active favor. Basically, somebody said, you know what, here, let's, here's the numbers. I think this is a good deal for you. And you went out and did it. Now, do you think you would have been able to find that deal without that agent bringing that opportunity to you? I mean, at the time I was kind of, I don't think I was ready, you know, yet. I wasn't out trying to find my own deals. I was still trying to, uh, to learn as much as I could. I was in that analysis paralysis phase where, you know, I, I was taking in all this information, but not doing a ton of action. Uh, some of the action was forced where it'd be like an investor wanted me to go knock on doors of pre foreclosures, but mm -hmm. I was basically acting like a bird dog and handing him over, you know, the, uh, the, the people lead. that were, yep. that, yeah, the lead that went, when they were ready to go, uh, he would take it, take it from there basically. And so I wasn't in the headspace. I don't think of like, 
like, oh, I could do this myself and I'm going to go find my own deal. I was still like, I, I still have so much to learn. I don't think I'm ready yet. And so when I was thrown into the deep end or I took the plunge, it was like, oh, maybe, uh, maybe I should have been looking for myself or maybe, uh, yeah, I can do this. I, you know, the financing got set up and, uh, and it was like, oh, maybe I was ready. You know? Yep, yep. <laughs> and and that's, the, that's the funny thing about, you know, taking action is, you know, you take those small little steps and you figure that small step out and you're like, okay, what's next? Okay, now I figure that out and then what's next? Now I figure that out. And then because you have, you know, you're in proximity of other people, you say, hey, I need financing. Hey guys, where should I go for financing? You know, and I'm pretty sure a couple of them was like, well, you can go here, there, and there. So now you got opportunities there for your financing. So you, you, with that first property, you were looking at, so your first, you said that you were going to try and do a lease option at first and then yep. wholesale hotel. So you were going down the whole gambit on, on getting, <laughs> getting rid of this thing. Um, so what happened with that? What, why, why weren't you able to wholesale it or find an end buyer for it, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it was just inexperience. Um, I did list it as a lease option. And when the first few people came and they were asking about terms, and I kind of had terms in mind, you know, just knew enough to just be dangerous, uh, had some terms in mind. And I remember a guy coming and he's like, well, what if I have uh, you know, I think I was asking 1100 a month and, um, 7,500 down or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I had a guy come and he was like, well, what if I have like 20,000 down? Can we get that payment down to like 900? And that was under my mortgage payment. And, uh, and I think I panicked a little, I was like, I was like, I don't know what to do. And so I called my, <laughs> I called my mentor and, and he was like, yeah, of course you should take that. You know, you can take the, the difference out of the amount that he paid over. And, um, and I think I just hesitated maybe a little bit too long. That buyer uh, went on to the next property or whatever. Yep. And, uh, and so it is kind of hesitation and inexperience, you know, a pretty bad mix to come together to try to do a deal like that. And so, yep. uh, so those two things worked really, really hard against me. And I think at the same time, you know, my wife's kind of like, like, well, we own this house. Like, you know, I, I'd love to go in and, 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 and try and fix it and, you know, I know what colors I want to paint it and uh, oh, I, know what to, I know what to do about it. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know what to do about the kitchen. You know, why don't we just, uh, you know, why don't we just do that, that stuff? And, uh, you know, it just worked out that we're right in that right position to end our lease and then uh, just move in and fix up the rest of it. So okay. it worked out in the end. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you, and your wife was on the right track. You know, she's like, well, we're renting, but we own this property over here. Why don't we just stop renting and move into this property? Yeah. And like you said, do a live-in flip. Um, so how did that go with the live-in flip? Um, because you just moved from Denver to here. So where did you find contractors to help with the work? Did you do all of the work? Kind of how did that, how did that transpire? Yeah. So, uh, you know, with the network, I could have gotten anybody that I needed, uh, obviously. But uh, honestly, it, looking back now, knowing what I know now, it was such a lipstick. It, it did not need a whole lot. Um, we put in like some new flooring, uh, paint. We did some work on the kitchen cabinets. Uh, yard, you know, like our, the backyard in Phoenix. Uh, 
it had no rock or anything. It was just dirt with a bunch of weeds growing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, you know, we, we, we took care of that kind of stuff. And, and honestly, more than we didn't really need to do more than that looking back at it okay <laughs> we, we we should have been able to hold you know to wholetail it at the time but again you know we were just like so clueless as to what we were doing even with a little bit of help that we did have uh maybe i didn't ask for enough help of like hey what's my exit on on these things uh you know i was trying to figure it out myself and you know uh be a big boy about it but gotcha um, but but i think i think it, it was it worked out so well. If I would have lease optioned it, I would have been in it for longer than a year. And right after 2006 or 2005, the market started really cooling down in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. I'd probably have to still be owning that property for it to break even, you know, today, like, right. It probably, it probably just got back up to, you know, 2004, 2005 value. So we were pretty lucky that we sold it a year later, you know, did the work, lived in it for a while, seasoned our loan, you know, made sure that we weren't uh, breaking any rules with anything and then getting out at the right time, which I, I wish I could say was that we did that on purpose, but uh, it was totally just the stars aligned and we got out at the right time. Total luck. Well, you better celebrate your wife because she, she made sure <laughs> that she didn't get in over your head. So, um, Anton, if you can remember, I know this was, you know, what, 15, 14 years ago. Do you remember what, what your initial purchase was on it and what your exit price was? Yeah, so, oh boy, you're going to make me think here. Um, <laughs> and they don't have to be exacts. Yeah, I think our, I think our initial purchase was around... 159 i believe okay and our exit was 225 plus a little bit of commissions and so uh, i i remember that we netted uh 60,000 on it gotcha okay yeah. well that was a good pot you know to go back to denver with to start start back over in denver with oh yeah it was great i mean we <laughs> immediately like put some money down on a, on a new house that we were moving into and then we have some money to pay off debts and stuff. And so, uh, yeah, it was great. It was, that's the most amount of money I've made, you know, in one chunk ever up to that point. So it was like, you're right. What to do with it? I'm, I'm rich. I'm rich. Know, you know, right? <laughs> everything is going good. So, right. so, so now you got back to Denver and I'm just kind of going down this timeline because I like to make sure people get the full background understanding of who we're talking with here on the line. So now you're, you're back in Denver. You got some confidence because you just closed this deal. You got 60 grand in your pocket. Um, what was the next step of your evolution as a real estate investor slash agent going from there? Yeah. And so, you know, landing back in Denver, uh, I felt like it was a little bit like starting over because all my networking that I've done for the last two years, you know, all these friends that I've made, um, they were still back in Phoenix and I knew yep. the Phoenix market just enough to be dangerous. Now I'm landing in a new market. And even though I grew up here, I mean, who's, who's really paying attention when they're a teenager. Yep. Uh, so, so I felt like I was almost starting over. So I kind of went back to the basics and I went back to meetups. I went back to networking with agents and investors. Um, I actually ended up uh, landing a job with an agent uh, to do kind of miscellaneous stuff and a lot of broker price opinions. There's a lot of 
short yep. sales coming down the road, you know, down the road. And so, so real quick ants. And so people yep. know, um, and, and my question to you is, did you have your license already, um, in Colorado? Not yet. I think it was, it was like 2007 when I got my license. So I had about a year gap okay. that, uh, that I was just kind of, I was doing a lot of BPOs, a lot of valuation. Uh, and now that, you know, looking back, I really cherish that time because I probably did a few hundred BPOs. And so what better to, and I, and I knew the state contracts by then I was, I was doing uh, transaction stuff. And so having knowledge of the contracts and then, you know, uh, basically doing these BPOs for banks, uh, you know, I was valuating 10 properties a day, you know, like, mm -hmm. and I was getting paid for it. So, so, so what is it? So what is it? What is a BPO for, for those that don't know? Yeah. So a, a BPO is basically like a light appraisal that a bank will order from an agent and they'll actually order multiple. Uh, they'll, they'll typically order it from multiple agents. So they have multiple opinions. And so since the bank, you know, uh, Wells Fargo doesn't know the, the Aurora, Colorado market, you know, they're going to hire an agent to say, hey, what is this house worth? Go take a look at it. Uh, a lot of the times it was just a drive-by yep. BPO. So you just take some pictures of the outside and then you pull comps and you're doing basically an appraiser's job up to a point. Um, you're just kind of given this shoot from the hip evaluation of the property okay so then you you submit all that to the bank they pay you per uh per bpo and um the agent who was ordering the work you know got a cut of that and i got you know a cut of that so i was you know getting paid to learn how to evaluate you know arv yeah. of properties basically yeah so you you were the bank were paying you to learn how to comp properties yep. which exactly. is which is excellent i mean um <laughs> you know it's it's stepping into again that right situation and getting that education so now you're doing these bpos you're learning what what was next um so i i actually took on some short sale uh i took on all the short sales with that agent as well and so he was doing probably about 10 short sales at a time and so i took all those on and learned, you know, from the ground up, and it was the wild west of short sales. So every bank had a different, you know, procedure. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody had a different way of doing things. And so uh, even though I wasn't even licensed yet in that office, other agents uh, in that brokerage would come to me and say, I don't know how to do this short sale. And so I would help them out and process their short sales for them, you know, for a fee. And then, okay. uh, and then uh, I, I pretty much got licensed right after that to be able to do um, retail work, to be able to do uh, more short sales, BPOs and stuff myself was, was the goal. And so got licensed and then um, went out on my own for a little bit. And then I hooked in with the REO team, which is uh, bank owned foreclosures. They're selling them for the bank and uh, did, you know, did a, how long was I with them? About three year stint with them and we were selling like 400 properties a year for the banks and, wow. and at the same time is when i was doing my first deals back in denver at the same time so okay uh so i was doing a lot of agent stuff and then trying to re you know trying to build up my investor side stuff too 
So now that's, that's the quandary that a lot of people have is, you know what, should I get my license if I want to be a wholesaler or if I want to be a real estate investor? And you know, from bigger pockets, that's one of the, you know, sticky topics, should I or shouldn't I? And you'll get 50% say yes, 50% say no. So coming from a person that has a license that's doing a lot of investment properties, what do you think would be a benefit for having a license and what do you think would be a detriment to having a license as a wholesaler or a real estate investor? Yeah. So uh, there are a lot of pros and cons, no matter how you look at it. Um, I've never re regretted getting my license. It's always paid for itself. Um, I'd say like a lot of the pros are you're not relying on someone else for that expert opinion and I couldn't imagine right now waiting for comps to come back yeah. or waiting for an ARV to come back or waiting for someone else to submit a contract for me. Um, that stuff right now would annoy me to no end. Uh, it, it, I, I can do it now. I could look up comps in about, you know, five minutes I can have an ARV and uh, waiting for this other agent to do that for me is, uh, is a lot of time that I can't waste usually. And so I think that that's having direct access to the tools is like the number one uh, benefit of having your license. So I have access to the tax records. I have access to lists. I have access to, you know, every property that's been sold on our MLS system for the last however many years. Yep. I can go in and find that in seconds, you know, <laughs> and even if it's like, hey, I wonder what, you know, I wonder what's being built or who bought that land over there. 30 seconds later, boom, I have that answer. You got that I information. I don't have to wait on anybody. And so, uh, so that's, that's the number one um, pro. And I'll throw in a quick number two pro, which is I think it lends me a lot of credibility when yep. I go to talk to sellers who don't have their house on the, mar you know, on the market with an agent. You know, I walk in, I have you know, standardized contracts. I have a licensing board above me that's going to drop the hammer on me if I do anything shady. Yep. They can look up, you know, my license record basically. And so I think that that lends a lot of credibility when I go in. I'm just not some guy running out of the back of the van. I've been, <laughs> you know, I've been licensed for 14 years and um and you know, they would know first if I did anything shady. Yeah. They they take customer complaints very uh seriously. So that's another uh pro, but um moving on to the the cons. Uh, I think the big one is that uh, there are some investment strategies that I can't do because I'm licensed, uh, whether it's your broker or just state law. Um, mm -hmm. Like I can't do a, like a wraparound sandwich lease option. You know, I can't, I just can't do that legally. You know, right. no, no brokerage would let me do that. And I could lose my license if I'm doing stuff like that. And guys, the reason, real quick, Anson, and the reason why he can't do that is because as an agent, you are privy to a lot of information that the general public doesn't have. So because you have that information, they don't want agents to use that information to skew, you know, how they will work the numbers and kind of pull the wool over the general public eyes. Um, so just keep that in mind. But if you're doing everything above board, then you have absolutely nothing to worry about. And like you said, Anton, that credibility piece is very, very, you know, essential because you can walk in and say, hey, you know what? 
if anything happens in this transaction that you deem inappropriate or anything like that, I have someone that I can that I have to answer to. Here's that person's name, contact information, my broker, you know, so on and so forth. So that gives them that level of comfort. Because I get this question asked to me all of the time, because I'm a I'm an agent and a real estate investor as well. And people say, Well, aren't you you know, one of the cons is you got to give your broker so much and, you know, your commissions and things like that. So um, we'll talk about that here next. But again, there are definitely some benefits that puts you in the room and you have access to information that other people don't have access to. Like, and you lightly touched on it, Anson, was list. Yeah, for sure. People don't talk about that. Um, you know, you have access to list so kind of share us that before we move on to some of the cons of, of having a license and yeah i mean if uh you know i can check basically um you know i think mls is a is, is a killer list just because i can go on there and i can see what's miss uh mislisted i guess if if, if you want to say like something that's listed in the wrong area has the wrong zoning uh you know, stuff like that. So the general public's looking at it and even savvy, you know, real estate agents are looking at it, but they don't realize like that area is zoned for this, but somebody put it in there wrong. And so they're looking at it and they go, well, I can't, I can't build there because it's, it's zoned wrong, but you go in there and, and, and you kind of capitalize on the agent's mistakes and you can look at stuff like that. Like it's listed as a, a single family house, but it's actually a, a duplex and it has a carriage house in the back. You know, it's like, that wasn't in there. And if anybody knew that they would jump on it, yep. but, it but by doing some extra work and knowing, you know, really knowing your neighborhoods, you could really capitalize on that. But the other lists, um, you know, I can pull tax lists, uh, tax record lists, and I can pull even now, I don't know about your MLS there, but we have this new tool that lets us see who's likely to move soon. Yep. yep. And they base that on a bunch of different, like, you know, scary metrics of you know, credit, uh, you know, credit history, purchasing history. Um, they put all that together and they say, you know, who's, who's, who's likely to move in the next six months. And so I have a list of those people that I can snap into stack lists too. And that's free to me because I'm licensed real estate agent and, you know, I pay my MLS fees. Um, and that's just one part that comes with it. So a lot of, lot of cool little tools and lists that you can pull out that may not be uh, meant for those kind of things, but if you can cross-reference some of those zoning lists and uh, you know likely to sell and and kind of pull out as much data as you can, there's a ton of it there just ready to be picked out. Okay, perfect. And that we're gonna use that um, to seg. We, we're gonna use that because you lightly touched on it. That's that's the list stacking that I want to talk about that I want us to feature on. But before we go there, now what are so if someone's considering should I or shouldn't I? What are some of the cons of having a license when trying to wholesale or or be an investor? Yeah. So uh, so we touched on the first, that one con of there's certain strategies that you can't uh, do under your broker. Uh, even though they're totally legal, uh, but as an agent, you're set to a, you're held to a different standard. Of course, um, when you go to wholesale, I always double close because an assignment could be seen as brokering without a license to some people, or you're mm -hmm. trying to skirt your commission. Whereas 
if I'm a, just a straight up buyer, I'm a straight up buyer. You know, there's no commissions involved uh, unless my broker, you know, uh, makes me collect them or something. But I'm not skirting around this. Hey, I'm trying to get around commissions by taking an assignment. I'm actually closing on it and then reselling it. So there's really no, uh, there's no gray area there, right? Gotcha. So, yeah. So some people who are used to assignments might run into a broker who's saying, like, "Hey, uh, it looks like you're trying to get around commissions," you know, that kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> so I'd say, yeah, I'd, I'd say that that's one thing when you're when you're wholesaling, and of course, disclosure. Some people aren't comfortable with agents. And so when you have to disclose like, hey, I'm a licensed real estate agent in the state of Colorado, I'm representing myself or my company, you know, and I don't represent you, sorry, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that might turn off uh, some investors of, they don't wanna go that extra step when they're either marketing or when they're talking to somebody on the phone to make sure that they know and it's clear as day, like you're a licensed real estate agent, you're a professional and- uh, and then you, I typically have to make them sign something that says I'm not representing them in any way. Mm-hmm. Like if they want an agent, go get one, but I'm not, I'm not your guy. Right, <laughs> you know, right. I'm only representing myself or my company. And yes, I am a professional and that, yes, you understand that um, I'm going to make money on this deal. <laughs> so, and that's, go ahead. I'm sorry not to cut no, you off. No, with no, that. that was, that was the end. It's just. You know, all those things could be seen as a negative if, if the investors don't want to jump through those extra hoops. Yeah. And that's one of the things that that freaks out a lot of people, you know, is is the whole disclosure aspect of being a real estate agent and being an investor. Because even with the state issued forms, you know, you have to have all of these disclosures filled out, you know. So now someone has a two-page contract as a just a real estate investor or a wholesaler, but you're coming in as an agent and now your contract is 15 pages, you know, because you got all of these disclosures. Um, what do you say to people that are an agent, you know, and they say, okay, well, this guy came in with a two-page contract, but now you got to come in with the 15-page contract. How do you navigate that conversation with the, uh, with the seller? Yeah, so I think that that's, that goes straight back to credibility because yep. um, I always tell them, hey, this isn't just something that's just written on the back of a napkin. This is the exact contract you can download from, you know, the state, uh, the state of Colorado website for real estate. And you can see that nothing's been changed or altered. They have a ton of lawyers that look at it every single year and they make tweaks and changes. So everything in here is boilerplate. Uh, there is no added you know, provisions except for the ones that we agree on. And this is how you know, thousands of real estate transactions are done every single month. And, um, and so to kind of lean on that credibility of, hey, this is a state contract. This is what everybody uses. There's nothing funny in here because it comes, you know, directly from the state. I will walk you through it line by line. And if you ever need extra help, which I have had to get um, in a foreclosure situation, they wanted a a lawyer to look at it. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, but they didn't want to pay for a lawyer. So I had to ask a a favor of a a real estate attorney that comes to one of my meetups. Uh, We sat on a conference call and walked them through line by line. And so if you're confident in the contract, you can walk them through in plain English line by line. And, um, and then, you know, be very patient with them and ask them if they have any questions and that you're, you know, you're available to answer any of these things. 
it, uh, you're leaning on the credibility of it being a boilerplate contract and you're building that rapport of like, hey, I'm here to help. Anything that's funny language in here, we'll work through it together so that we understand it. And I don't want you to sign anything that you're uncomfortable signing. I want to make sure that it's a win-win <coughs> situation and, uh, and really just go down that route of like, hey, I'm here to help first. And if there's anything in here that you don't like, we'll, we'll work through it. You know, we'll, yep. we'll see if we can get rid of it or we can go around it or, you know, at the end of the day, we can shake hands and walk away as friends. So. And that's, and that's good because um, I had ran into that problem when I was just getting started and I had my license and, you know, I, I, I use the whole credibility factor here in Arizona. You can also get like a, um, it's a card, the card when you're a member of, you know, the National Association of Realtors. So I say, you know, look, I'm a member of the National Association of Realtors and this contract here, yes, it's thick. We'll go through it line by line, but at the same time, there's provisions in there to protect you as the seller, as well as me as the buyer, where that two-page contract that that other investor is bringing in is all skewed towards them. You know, they have these exit clauses, out clauses, everything like that. I said, and then what happens if, you know, they back out of the deal or something like that. There's no one to hold them accountable. And like you said, it, it really lends to that benefit of being that agent. So guys, if you're having that quandary between should I or shouldn't I, I always tell people in the beginning, if you don't have the money, do a deal or two, get it done, and then take that money and get your license because it opens up so many doors because now you have access to the MLS, you have access to other realtors, you know, for pocket listings. Um, you just have access to contractors because now you're in the room with real estate professionals versus just being around with other upstart wannabe wholesalers or fixing flippers and things like that. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. That's perfect said. So let's, let's kind of segue here, Anson. Um, real quick, we're going to take a brief break and hear a word from my sponsors. And when we come back, I want to talk primarily on marketing because you have some great things that you do with marketing, you know, that I really want our listeners to understand and hear. So we'll have, we'll take a brief break and we'll come back with Anson Young. PropString is the industry's number one tool for locating distressed properties and connecting with highly motivated sellers with 100% coverage across the U.S. PropStream provides a deep dive into any property's specific details, making it easy to generate lists of distressed properties and contact to the owners. No other product or service can compare. Gain access to MLS property details like expired listings. You can pull accurate comps, even sale prices in non-disclosure states. This information is typically reserved for licensed real estate professionals, but is also available to you in PropStream. Gain access to unlimited nationwide property search, comparable home sales, targeted marketing lists, and owner contact lookup, built-in marketing tools, hundreds of filters to search and sort leads. Start your free seven-day trial now by going to proud.propstreampro.com slash we love it. All right, guys, we are back and we're here with Anson Young out of Denver, Colorado. Anson is a real estate investor and a professional um, real estate agent. And we're, we've talking, we've been talking about 
how to do deals as a real estate investor and a real estate agent. And what we want to talk about right now is about marketing. What kind of marketing should we be doing? Can we be doing and how to pull this? So Anton, I'm going to leave the floor open to you, man. So let's start, (laughs) you know, with marketing. What should we look for? How should we market getting started? Yeah, I mean, we got another like hour and 45 minutes, right? To go through everything. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, so yeah, so in a nutshell, uh, I think I could break this down into to do two different areas, like, um, or maybe three different areas. So what's, what's kind of not working right now? And, um, and then we'll talk about uh, what is working and uh, doing some stacked lists and some stacked marketing. So those are the three things that we'll talk about real quick. So the first thing of what's working right now in a major market, excuse me, what's not working right now in a major market and uh, with a ton of competition. Phoenix is like kind of like Denver, kind of like Portland, these similar sized cities with red hot markets, low inventory. Um, What I find that's not working right now and all the uh, investors that I talk to in this kind of arena is, you know, just, just doing one thing isn't working anymore. Yep. Um, that's, that's a major thing. So back in the day, you could just send out pink postcards and that's all you did. And you would get deals, you know, coming, coming through your door. Right now, just doing that one thing isn't working anymore. And for me, uh, bandit signs aren't working. Uh, it's just, uh, they just don't exist here. And mm-hmm. whether it's just due to COVID or the, the city regulations, um, when I talked in uh, in Nashville at the Bigger Pockets thing, I think I said I saw one bandit sign in the last like six months, and now that it's a year later, I've seen still that same one bandit <laughs> sign. <laughs> so, eighteen months later, uh, we just don't have any bandit signs. And when you have a higher price market with savvy sellers, yep. they're just not going to call you know one random bandit sign out of ten that are on the corner. Uh, you know, what are you, what's your bandit sign have to offer that the other 10 don't, you know, it's just, you know, we buy houses, you know, you know yep. a phone number. And so, um, and so I think sellers have moved past that, that marketers have ruined that. And now we have to move on. And so, uh, and then the, the last thing that I've seen that's not working is yellow letters. Um, I think marketers have burnt through those. Uh, if you've owned a property for the last 20 years, let's just say it's free and clear and you've owned it for 20 years. How many yellow letters have you gotten? You know, every single month you're probably getting, you know, seven to 20 yellow letters that all look the same, you know, the same, you know, red pen or whatever is on Mm -hmm. there. You've seen it all. So, so those are kind of the things that I've found that aren't working. So, uh, so let's talk about what is working. And for me going in the spirit against of that, just, just doing one thing now we're going to gather as many lists as possible and the, and the more niche and hard to get the better, uh, the, you know, so of course you're going to pull lists from list source and you're going to, you know, pull lists from the County, maybe some foreclosure lists, some divorce lists or some eviction lists. Uh, but you're also going to go out and you're going to pull, you know, all the crazy ones that you can find you know, if you can find utility shutoff lists, if you can find, um, you know, a list of, I, I like to find it where maybe it was a quick claim list, 
where, you know, quick claim for under $50. And that means that you usually it's a family member quick claiming it to another family member. Yep. So they might've done that to get around probate or anything like that. So um, driving for dollars, of course, still a great list. And you're going to gather up all these lists and you're going to find out who's showing up on multiple lists. So if you have 10 lists and you can say, okay, who is on three lists or more, you know, three lists, four fists, four lists, five lists, et cetera. Cause these people are more likely willing and needing to sell quicker. You know, if, if they're in divorce and they're uh, in foreclosure, but then they're also on a utility shutoff list, you know, you know, that that person's in trouble and you're more likely to be able to help them. And so, so you, uh, so we're going to stack those lists. We're going to find out who's on multiple lists. We're going to take those. So those people who are on the stack list, they show up on multiple lists. Now we're going to do a stacked marketing approach to them. So we're not just going to send them a pink postcard and call it good. You know, we're not going to yep. do that once a month. Now we're going to skip trace everybody on the list. You know, we're going to mail them every, you know, two to three weeks. We're going to call them. We're going to text them. We're going to email them. Yep. We're going to go knock on their door. We're going to try to find them on Facebook. We're going to basically do everything that we can do to hunt them down until we either buy the property or we're told to go take a hike. And so, uh, and so that, that's kind of my philosophy is we're going to aggressively pursue them because they need the most help. Right. And so, and so we're yep. going after them hard because we could be a great way out for them. And if they turn around and they say, Hey, we don't, you know, stop bothering me. Uh, you know, take me off your lists. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll keep hammering the other people and, um, and respect the wishes, you know, Hey, we don't need help. You know, we don't want to be the scummy marketers who are, uh, you know, keep doing, keep doing keep, it, keep aggressively yeah. going after them. And so, yeah, so, the big list before we stack it, you know, we're going to mail them, of course, but these people who show up on multiple lists, we're going to really get the best information possible. We're going to skip trace them and we're going to hunt them down and we're going to see if we can't help them. Okay. So, and, and guys, that's basically list stacking. Like um, Anton said, you're going to take just to recap. He excellently put, you know, you, you put it out there. Excellent. Um, Anton, but it's just, taking this massive list and and then you have these other smaller niche lists. So let's just say you have a massive list of absentee owners or high equity people. You have a massive list of high equity people. You find this through listsource.com or um, like Rebo Gateway or PropStream. Um, and once you get this list, now you're going to pull all of these smaller lists. Again, it's going to be absentee owners out of state that's going through an eviction that have a water shut off notice. These people are highly motivated and you have to be consistent and reaching out to them. So you're not only stacking that list, but you're stacking that marketing strategy. So you're going to send out that direct mail. You're going to hit them with a text message because you got their telephone number. You're going to give them a call, a cold call, and you just put that on rinse and repeat consistently until they say yes i want to sell or screw off anton stop calling me stop reaching me i am tired of you <laughs> yep exactly but what normally happens is is when you find that person that raised their hand and say 
yes, Anson, I do need some help. What's the likelihood of you closing that deal and making some money? Um, usually it's pretty high on that list on the, on a stacked, you know, everybody talks about your, your KPIs and your key performance indicators and you're tracking how many mailers you're sending out, how many calls you're taking in, how many of those calls turn into appointments and how many of those appointments turn into contracts. And so your key performance indicators on your big list where you're just mailing out once a month, uh, that looks like, you know, typically, I guess, uh, 30, uh, 30 calls turns into like three appointments, turns into one deal. One deal. And the stacked list, since these people are typically uh, more in need of help, so they're, they're in dire trouble uh, typically, and you're aggressively pursuing them harder, um, you do have a little bit less competition who are doing, you know, going after them that hard. And so I, I don't have quite the numbers right in front of me. But I'd say it's about half of that. So, um, you know, maybe 15 people that you talk to, I usually have more appointments on the stack mm -hmm. list because uh, it's a little bit easier to say, hey, like, can I come see the property? We can talk in person. And so for every 15 calls uh, or contacts that we get, we're typically closing about five of those. Um, and, you know, and, and of course, you're going to have the 10 that aren't ready yet or they're uh, you know, they're waiting on probate to get, get through or they're waiting on, you know, 10 signers to sign that are the heirs yep. of the property. You know, there's always those that could pop through as long as you're following up and you have an aggressive, you know, really good follow-up schedule. But, uh, but the, the KPIs look better uh, because the list is just so much better. Um, there's so much, you know, there's so many factors there that are saying like, yes, we need to sell now. That will solve our problem. Yep. So, so there you go. I mean, for you guys are looking for one marketing strategy, don't get caught up in all of the shiny bells and whistles, you know, like you did in the beginning ants. And I did also, cause I was like, okay, I'm going to do lease options. Then I'm going to do, you know, pre foreclosures. Then I'm going to be a landlord. I'm on all of these doors and all of this kind of stuff. Focus on something get very, very good at it. Like Anson, you know, with this list stacking, get good at it. You will be able to drive leads because that is, you know, the source of your business is driving leads. Now, Anson, you spoke about something that I, that I always tell people that they need to know. You just broke down, hey, I know I need to do X amount of marketing. If I do that, I'm going to get 30 calls, from out of those 30 calls, I'm going to get three appointments. Out of those three appointments, I may get one deal. So now you know you can anticipate every 30 calls at number 31 or somewhere, some variation in there, I'm going to get a deal versus people that get started and they're just taking that shotgun approach and saying, well, I'm just going to call, 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 and they're not tracking their numbers. How important is that that those KPIs to your business? Um, you know, there was a long time where I didn't do, I didn't track anything. And then once I started tracking, I could really, uh, I could really nail down, okay, how much money did it cost me to get this deal? And not a lot of people can answer that question. Yep. You know, is it, uh, you know, did I spend $10,000 to make $10,000? You know, <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty important to know, right? So I think when you're just starting out, it'd be a good habit to start tracking that. But I don't think it's as in, you know, it's not the number one priority. But as you start 
uh, as you start spending more money uh, on advertising and marketing and, and uh, systems, basically, as you start spending more money and as you start scaling and trying to scale and trying to get more deals and maybe you need to hire somebody in, knowing your numbers is going to be the number one priority of how much money is it costing us to, to, to get one deal in. And, uh, and, that's, and that's huge because then you can reverse engineer that just like you said. You can say, okay, well, it's costing us $2,500 right now. So yep. if I boost my, you know, if I boost next month's spending by $10,000, we should be seeing four extra deals, you know, out yep. of that. And then you're always, you know, once you know your numbers, you know, you, you can break it down to cost for appointment, cost for call, which is a huge one, especially if you're training somebody to answer your phone calls, you go, yep. it cost me $70 to make that phone ring once. That's right. <laughs> and it goes, you know, and I'm paying you you know, $20 an hour. So you do the math. If you miss the phone call, you know, eventually you know, we'll have to talk about that, you know, how much that's affecting the bottom line. And you're basically wasting, you know, the company money basically. Yep. And the same thing, if you're small enough and you're answering the phone call yourself and you, you miss a call because you just don't want to take it at that time, or maybe you're busy writing an email or something, you go, no, that cost me $70 to, to make that phone ring. I'm going to pick that up and I'm going to see if I can't turn that into a deal. And so, uh, you know, cost per appointment, cost per call, um, that, that becomes really kind of interesting, even if you're not like a numbers geek, and I'm definitely not, but it is interesting to see, you know, if, if you miss an appointment, which uh, obviously you don't want to do, but that could have cost you, you know, 600 or $700 for that appointment yep. you know, to, to get to that point. And so if you treat everything like that, um, then then your business, you, you can scale it much easier because you know exactly what the numbers are. You go, well, I only have $2,500 next month to throw at more marketing, but that should net you one more deal if you deal, know your numbers. Yep. You know? yep. so. And, and I'll, I'll give you an example because I had a scarcity mentality in the beginning and you know, I closed a couple of deals and I was like, okay, didn't really know my numbers. I was tracking them, but I really wasn't tracking them. So I was like, okay, well, I got 2,500 bucks. Let me throw this 2,500 bucks out there and see what sticks on the wall. Close the deal. You know, the deal was way more than 2,500 bucks. You know, it's like 15, 16, $17,000. But I stayed on that 2,500 buck marketing track for the longest. And I was just looking back and I was like, you know what, if I would have, started doubling my marketing or tripling my marketing when I started closing these deals, I would have been a lot further along, you know? So now I know, and I just literally just had this, this conversation with my rep last week. And I was like, dude, every time you don't make a call or you don't answer the phone, that cost me $75, cost yep. me $75. I said, and each deal we close it cost me $2,144.44, you know, to get a closed deal. That's how much it cost me. And he was looking at me like, wow, you know all of this stuff? And I'm like, yes, it's very, very important. That's why if you want to keep working with me, you better start answering these phones and closing these deals and things like that. You know, so guys, you really have to know your numbers and start out in the beginning, even if it's, you know, you close that first deal or you're coming up to closing that first deal. That's even more important because it's sometimes it's all you have, 
You know, if you got that $2,400, $2,500, that's all you have. And you're like, okay, what am I doing with this $2,500? What's working? Because some people may say, okay, well, you take $1,000, put it in direct mail, take another $500, put it in text messaging, you know, take another, you know, $1,000 and put it towards cold calling. You got to know which one is working for you, at least in the beginning before you can marry all of them together. So it's, it's very, very important. Exactly. Yeah. And if, and if, yeah, and if you know what list is, you know, what list is doing well, and it's, it's kind of hard once you start to do a stacked marketing approach because you're just throwing everything at these people. Yep. But if you're, you know, if you're, uh, if your backend is organized and you're just mailing to your big list, and you can see that certain lists are performing better than others, even inside your big list. As long as that's uh, organized on the back end, anybody who calls in, I should be able to punch in and see exactly where that person came from. Did they come from high equity? Did they come from, you know, a divorce list? Uh, and then, and, and then, yeah, then, then you know who's performing better, like yep. what, what list is, is performing better. And maybe you throw more money at that list, you know? Yep. Yep. So if you got a list that's, you know, if it's an eviction list that's performing better than a utility shutoff list, then you're going to naturally put more money towards that eviction list and scale back that, you know, utility shutoff list. So guys, these, these things are important. They sound geeky. They sound nerdy, but once you get into it, you know, you are really going to love it because you're going to say, okay, well, if I put more money over here, I'll get more money out you know so it's in for every input there's an output and you got to know what to increase the input in order to get that deal flow back out exactly yep so so tell us uh anson uh we talked about the, the marketing advertising deal stacking everything like that how is your team set up is it just you or do you have a team of agents kind of kind of how is all of that set up yeah. So, uh, so right now it's pretty small. Um, I've kept it small intentionally for a long time. Like I think I've talked about it before, um, on bigger pockets, but it's kind of a, uh, lifestyle type business. You know, um, mm -hmm. I may, I'm able to, you know, bounce in and out. I'm, I don't have a huge team to, to have to support. Um, but now I'm, I've shifted in the last year or so mentally, at least maybe not quite on paper yet, but, uh, but, how you can have both. And so right now, uh, there's three of us basically on the payroll, so to speak, okay. um, myself, my wife, and then we have, uh, we have kind of a project manager, uh, position where, uh, they, you know, run some of the, the day-to-day -day flip stuff. And, um, and then we have, we have, uh, independent contractors underneath that with some okay. of our, some of our crews and stuff. And, um, and right now at the same time, uh, so I'm, I'm trying to uh, bring in an assistant uh, to help out with some, some stuff that I, you know, I, I don't want to do on a day-to-day -day right. basis. <laughs> they can, they can kind of track KPIs and, and input numbers and stuff and, uh, and direct some of the, the mailing campaigns. And then uh, on the agent side, I am looking to kind of massively expand and uh, build an agent team to take on either leads that we get that we can convert to listings, um, any other marketing that doesn't fall within the fix and flip or wholesale model, you know, we'll, we'll throw those leads over to them. 
uh, provide some training and, uh, and, you know, really build up that side of the business as well. So I kind of have uh, multiple eggs and multiple baskets, so to speak. So, okay. so it's pretty small right now. I have uh, one agent coming on and then uh, hope to have two or three more, maybe by the end of the year, we'll see how it goes. But, um, and then, yeah, so just, just, just expand smart. Yeah. And, and, and that one key thing that you said was, is lifestyle because some people, they hear, you know, bigger pockets or wherever, you know, you know, I'm doing a thousand deals or I have a thousand doors. Well, that may be great for that person. You know, the next person may say, you know what? I just need seven doors so I can come off of my job and that's what I want. You know, so guys, don't get, don't fall into that immediate trap of bigger is always better because it's, it's not, it depends on your life, you know, and that's, that's one of the things that I'm learning. So you're, you're scaling, you're building out, you know, your team at your pace, you know, to do what you need to do. And one thing that we did miss that we didn't touch on as a benefit, as an agent and a wholesaler is what do you do with these leads that won't accept your wholesale offer, but they absolutely want to sell. Yep. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's another tool in my tool belt that I tell investors who aren't agents yet is saying, you know, I've converted a lot of listing or a, a lot of appointments into listings because I come, come at it so transparently with the sellers. And I say, Hey, look, my offer may not be, you know, what you're looking for, but I'm still committed to help you and, and help you sell. So if that doesn't work for you, we can talk about maybe listing your property and still selling because you, at the end of the day, what are you going to do? You know, you still need to sell. So I'm here to help yep. whether I'm the buyer or I'm representing you as the, uh, as your agent. And obviously I'm there to buy first, but I'm there to help above that. So, yep. uh, so, so if, if I can help them and we turn it into a listing and I still get, you know, I still get paid a commission. They still get out of their situation. Um, it's a win-win, you know, I'm, I'm still there to help. So sometimes I'll run the numbers both ways. I'll say, this is what it looks like if I buy, this is what it looks like if you, you know, sell it as is on the market. And sometimes those numbers are pretty close. The net, the net can be really close, which helps if I say, Hey, on, on the investor side, there's no inspections, there's no appraisals, there's no showings, you know, we can close in two weeks or we can close in two months whenever you want to. And on this other side, obviously there's going to be the showings and the commissions yep. and the appraisals. And so sometimes people look at the, you know, the, the pros and cons in each category and they go, you know, that looks better if I want, you know, I'll just sell to you and it'll be easy. Or they go, maybe we can make a little bit more money if we list, let's do that. And so I do pick up a number of listings every year based on that, just because I have more tools in my tool belt. Yeah. You're, you're maximizing those leads. And that's one of the things that we do is, okay, you want to accept that wholesale offer? Well, I guarantee you that we will be able to get you that offer amount that you're looking for. If you allow us the opportunity to list the property for you. Yep. Our guarantee is when we first talk to you is that we're going to find an avenue to help you. So this is just another avenue and that's, that's another benefit and that's another, another bonus uh, for them. So Anson, great information so far, man, what we're going to do, we're going to roll into our hot seat questions. We're going to put Anson 
on the hot seat, on the hot seat. So answer, answer these questions for us, man, as quickly as possible. Okay. Um, starting over, what would you do differently? So uh, if I had to start all over, I would, uh, I would definitely buy a house hack to start with. And, uh, and so at the time, I think I could have picked up a fourplex, um, lived in one unit, rented out the other three. And right now I would have a, a solid, a, a, I guess a more solid foundation going into like that second and third year of having some income that's steady coming in. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. What is your greatest commodity outside of capital? Um, definitely finding deals. I feel like I could get dropped into any market and with, within, you know, uh, two weeks or a month have a good enough grasp of what's going on to be able to go out and find deals in that market. So that would be like starting over basically and, uh, and drop in and be able to find deals. Well, that's why you're called Anson the deal finder, right? <laughs> <laughs> so what, what drives your ambition, Anson? Uh, my ambition, what drives me is my, uh, kind of my mission statement. My, um, I have it up on my wall over here. You can't see it. Um, but it's, uh, it's kind of this big poster of basically, uh, what kind of my, my life mission is. And it's, it's really, you know, comes down to be able to provide an amazing life for myself and my family and to, you know, to give back, to be able to, uh, to grow and that we collect experiences and not material things. And so, you know, the number one thing, you know, I have a pretty small family. So the number one thing is to, uh, to, to be able to have, you know, the most amazing life while I'm here and uh, with my son and my, and my wife. So there you go. There you go. That's what it's all about. I mean, it's, it's family. That's what most people are doing this for is for the family. So what, what, do you believe is your greatest challenge? Um, my greatest challenge is always myself. <laughs> uh, okay. So, uh, so whether it's a mindset, um, I do sometimes get like a recurring kind of a, a, a roller coaster effect. So sometimes I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm down in the, in the valley of things and maybe yep. just my mindset. And that, that's been the number one thing that's always held me back is myself. And so, uh, you know, working through clearing out those. And so I have a more, uh, an upward trajectory at all times is, uh, is the goal, but definitely, you know, you're, you're, you're on your worst enemy and that definitely applies to me for sure. And it's funny that, that you say that because the majority of the investors that I talk to when I ask them about their greatest challenge, it's never really anything external. It's always something that, you know, I could do this, you know, I need to think this way, you know, so on and so forth. So guys, that mindset piece is very, very important because, you know, you can limit your own progress by the way you think and the way you act and things like that. So um, Anson. Tell us about your book, man. Um, I know you're an author. You're an accomplished author. So give us the backdrop on your book and how we can find it. Yeah. So the, you know, the short version is, is that uh, at the end of the day, uh, I believe that finding deals is the most important skill that you can have. Um, a little bit of a tiny bit of backstory is that it started off as kind of a wholesaling book. Okay. And then, uh, and then with the publisher, we morphed it into like, well, okay, what if we took one step back from wholesaling 
and and we went to finding deals because whether you want to be a landlord, fix and flipper, you want to develop, be a developer, um, you want to go own a 20 unit, you know, 20 unit buildings all across, you know, Kansas or something, whatever your goal is, what's that number one thing that you have to be able to do? You have to be able to find those deals no matter what. And you have to be able to find them better than the next guy. So whether that's, you know, learning to network, learning to market, learning to analyze, it's all in there. And, uh, and of course the title is finding and funding great deals. So not only do you have to find those deals, but you have to pay for them somehow too. Yep, so, yep. Uh, so the book goes through that. It goes through analyzing rentals, fix and flips, wholesales, um, all of that stuff. It basically gets you from zero to the closing table. And whatever you do with it after that, I don't care, <laughs> but I got yeah. you there. <laughs> yep, yep, so yep. You could, so you could get there and then burn it down the next day uh, for insurance money. I don't recommend that, but <laughs> but you could do that, and I at least got you to the closing table. So that was the goal, and uh, and you can find it on uh, Bigger Pockets, um, on Amazon. There are some physical bookstores that have it still, Barnes and Noble and stuff, okay. and so you can you can find it uh, pretty much just type in the title. It'll probably take you to Amazon first, but uh, it's on audible too. So if you want to listen to this voice for 10 hours uh, talking to you about real estate, you can do that too. Gotcha. Gotcha. So guys, that's finding and funding deals by Anton Young. I'll make sure I put the Amazon link down in the show notes. Um, He's a contributor with Bigger Pockets. He speaks with Bigger Pockets at the, you know, he's on the forums, he's active, you know, he, Again, I met him at the Bigger Pockets conference in Nashville. So he is definitely out there. He's doing deals. So he's not one that's talking and preaching and not acting and and doing deals. So Anson, I really appreciate it, man. You gave us tons of information, man. Tons of content. Thank you so much, man, for being here and being with us. So next, finally, how can we find you? How can, you know, our listeners reach out to you? Yeah, I think I, I think the best way to get a hold of me is through bigger pockets. Uh, just seems to be a pretty uh, easy, easy place to grow and to go and just send me a message. So uh, biggerpockets.com slash users slash Anson. Uh, okay. And, and then, uh, yeah, definitely send me a colleague request, send me a message about anything. Um, so if you need help with something, I can see if I can help you. If you just have questions or, uh, maybe you have, uh, something mean to say, you can, you can, you can, you can, you can do that too. It's a free, free world. So you can do that, but, right. but yeah, definitely reach out and say, Hey, uh, I'd love, I'd love to hear from you. Okay, guys, so that's biggerpockets.com slash users slash Anson. I'll make sure I have that in the show notes as well. That way you can you can talk directly to Anson, get some questions answered, you know, about how to stack lists, what kind of lists should you stack, and, you know, where to find lists and things like that. So, Anson, thank you so much, sir. Thank you, thank you. Great job, great job. Um, you know, without any further delay, what is, you know, in, in parting, you have any parting words for our listeners? Yeah. I mean, uh, I think Marcus has a great platform here. Uh, great heart. He, uh, what, what I like most is, is he hit on something that I hit in my book a lot and I made sure that I'd like, I drove it home, but he's, he's here to, to, to help. 
He's here to help his sellers. He's here to help uh, you guys get as much information as possible. And, uh, and that connects with me a lot because I talk about, you know, being there to help first and then the money comes later. And, uh, and, and I think that that's huge. And I think Marcus has exemplified that in, you know, his first inclination when it comes to talking about sellers is, is, Hey, I'm here to help. You know, I think you said in different avenues to get you the help that you need. Yep. And, uh, and that's huge. I think if you go in with that kind of spirit and that heart of, of, uh, of going in to help people, sellers, buyers, sellers, whoever it is, uh, if you're there to, to, you know, to, to help them as much as possible, you're going to go really far in this business because people can, can really weed out if you're just there for the money. And, and I don't know, it has just, just the scent to it that people pick up on yep, yep. and, uh, and they know if you're not there to help and you just see dollar signs in your eyes, but if you're there to help, you're going to go real far. There you go, guys. You hear for Anson from Anson. Be genuine. You know, have a giver's mentality and a helper's mentality. You'll be successful. You know, in anything that you do. So, Anson, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it, guys. Reach out to Anson. Believe me, I would not have anyone on the show that I do not believe is credible and have the content and the information that you need to push you further. So Anson, thank you. And guys, remember to always enjoy the journey. Thanks for having me, man. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to today's show. I picked up some great actionable items and I'm sure you did as well. If so, let me know. You can always reach me via social media at facebook.com slash Maloney. Twitter at MRCS Maloney, and of course, IG at MRCS Maloney. You can also always reach me via email at mmaloney at equityri.com. Make sure you reach out to our guest as well. You can always find their contact information in the show notes below. If you have not subscribed already, what are you waiting for? Join the family. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review. This is how we tell if we're providing you with what you need for your journey. If there's someone you would like for me to interview, or if there's a subject matter you would like for me to cover, please let me know. Finally, if you're looking for additional information about real estate investing, go to equityrealestateblog.com, also youtube.com slash Marcus Maloney. Until next time, family, always enjoy the journey.